0: It's Monday, July 30th, and this is the Daily Dive. California is on fire, and it is showing no signs of letting up anytime soon. Across the state, fires have ravaged communities by taking homes and taking lives. One fire in Southern California was started by a suspected arsonist. But in Northern California, the car fire is the most concerning. David Benda, reporter for the Reading Record Searchlight, joins us to talk about how that fire started, the manpower being used to fight it, and how the community is dealing with it. Next, President Trump has been touting some good economic numbers. It's the strongest growth since 2014. The GDP grew at 4.1% for the second quarter. Consumer spending is up, and so are savings. The president's tax cuts did play a part in these new economic numbers. Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters, fills us in on what the numbers mean, and also new tweets from the president talking about a potential government shutdown. Finally, my producer Miranda joins me for two quick discussions. Is sleeping with a fan on actually bad for your health? Like most headlines, the risks may be overblown. But the second question has Americans divided. Is brushing your teeth in the shower just fine or totally gross? It's news without the noise. Let's dive in.
1: We're feeling a lot more optimistic today as we are starting to gain some ground. Rather than being in the defensive mode on this fire, we're starting to make some good progress out there. The fire does continue to grow on us in some remote, inaccessible areas. The positive thing about
0: that is that we are out away from uh, many of the uh, residents' structures. Joining us now is David Benda, reporter for the Reading Record Searchlight. So we're going to be talking about all these fires all over California Cal Fire said there could be as many as 300 fires up and down the whole entire state. There's roughly a dozen big fires that are of major concern. There's the Cranston Fire, which was started by a 32-year-old arsonist named Brandon McLever. There's a Ferguson Fire near Yosemite National Park. There's a few others. The biggest concern still remains the Carr Fire, just because it's burning out of control. So people have lost their lives now. There's a bunch of homes that have been lost. David, what can you tell us about the Carr Fire right now?
1: I was just listening. They had a, a CAL FIRE, a recent press conference. We just learned that another civilian has been killed in the fire, which brings the death toll to six now. Four civilians, a Redding firefighter, and a contract bulldozer operator have, have died in this fire. The fire is still only 5% contained. It's about 90,000 acres at the conference, this was the first time since this fire started on Tuesday, that, they, and they've been holding these briefings, that CAL FIRE sounded a little more optimistic. In fact, the battalion chief was saying that he expects to see tonight the containment percentage numbers to increase. So that's some good news. That is good news, yeah.
0: Going back to uh, some of the victims, you had mentioned there was a new person. Did, do we know anything about them so far?
1: We don't right now. All we know is It's a civilian and that's all that uh, we know. We don't know where this person was. The other three civilians that died was a great-grandmother and her two great-grandchildren, ages four and five, and they just were not able to get out of their home. Fire was moving so quickly on Thursday night I mean it absolutely blew up. I went home from work on Thursday night around five thirty and about an hour later I was called back in. My editor told me this fire it jumped the Sacramento River. You need to come back in. That was probably the most destructive night here in the city of Reading. We lost about forty five to fifty homes in the Lake Reading Estate subdivision. They were describing the fire in that area. It was creating its own weather, and they were describing it as a tornado. I mean, homes that weren't lost, some of them had their roofs ripped off, trees were uprooted. I, I mean, it was absolutely incredible.
0: Yeah, and the story of those two kids and their great-grandmother that passed, their husband had even said he went on a short errand to the nearby store. He said, I didn't think it was going to jump the river. And that's exactly Correct. what happened, and he reportedly was on the phone with them and then got disconnected, and it's just tragic, the loss of life. What can you tell us about how many personnel is fighting this fire right now?
1: There are well over 3,000 personnel fighting this fire, covering a 100-plus square mile area, which is more than twice the size of the city of Redding. We're a city of about 90,000 people, about 60 square miles here. We've also learned that through the federal farm bill, they're bringing in an additional 150 engines to the fire line. We've got about 300 National Guard troops here. It's funny, you drive around Redding and those roads that have been closed, there are uh, National Guard troops standing by telling people, you cannot come in. We also learned yesterday that law enforcement has been assisted by about 250 extra military police. So as the cliche goes, it's all hands on deck right now. How do
0: firefighters fight something this huge? I mean, there's the unpredictability of the wind and and the fire you have to be very careful with. How do they fight this stuff?
1: The big issue right now, and it's a little better today, they have had trouble getting planes, air tankers up in the air because the visibility, the smoke has been so poor. They need about three or four miles of visibility to feel safe to get these air tankers up in the air. And that's been the big issue so far. But they are getting those up in the air. I've seen uh, the big DC-10 tanker shots of that dumping, retardant. There's word that we've got the super tanker, the 747 coming up from Sacramento, helping out. But the winds, uh, I mean, this fire has just been so unpredictable. And another issue firefighters are dealing with is we got the main fire, but they're having to scramble to put out spot fires. So, you know, you're rushing to put those out. Oftentimes, those are those spot fires are happening in populated neighborhoods.
0: In Southern California, as I said earlier, the, the Cranston fire was started by an arsonist. That he was charged with setting like nine fires. One of them grew into the Cranston fire. With the car fire, do we know how that one started?
1: We know, but the, the authorities aren't being uh, very specific. We know it was a vehicle mechanical failure on Tuesday afternoon. We're pretty sure it was a trailer. But beyond that, we really don't know. It was out toward Whiskeytown Lake, which is west of Redding, about 20 minutes west of Redding, when this fire started on Tuesday afternoon. They had it kind of contained of 50 or so acres. But on Wednesday night, it was the first night it started to blow up and head toward Redding. And then, as I said, Thursday night, it just really exploded.
0: These things are always very tragic, loss of life, loss of homes and everything. How are the residents holding up? I know, you know there's a lot of evacuations and things like that as well. How are they holding up?
1: This has impacted everybody. I mean, my family was evacuated. We didn't lose our home. We're, we've been able to get back. But Shasta County, we have 190,000 people, and this is impacting everybody. I mean, it's, it's tough.
0: Thank you for the report. Good luck to you and your family and, and all the residents out there. Everybody should go follow David on Twitter, at DavidBenda underscore RS. He's tweeting out a bunch of updates as things happen. He's there on the scene following the story very closely.
1: I, I also encourage people to go to our website, Redding.com. And, and and real quick, this right now, and again, this fire is only 5% contained, but already it's the third most destructive fire in Shafta County history, but at only 5% contained, this thing is a long way from being over.
0: It's gonna be a tough haul for the residents and firefighters to continue finding this. David, thank you very much. Thank you. they are on track to hit the highest annual average growth rate in over 13 years. And I will say this right now, and I'll say it strongly. As the trade deals come in one by one, we're going to go a lot higher than these numbers. And these are great numbers. We are the economic envy of the entire world. When I meet the leaders of countries, the first thing they say invariably is, Mr. President, so nice
2: to meet you. Congratulations on your economy. Joining us
0: now is Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters. On Friday, the president got uh, some very good economic news. We had 4% GDP growth in the second quarter. Partly, it was because of all the uh, tax cuts that the president did in late 2017. People had a little more money in their pockets and they were willing to be spending. What else did we find out about those economic numbers?
2: 4% was sort of a magic target number the president had set, insisting through the campaign that he could hit that 4% better than Obama had. And it was driven, finally accomplishing it this quarter, by a number of factors. You mentioned tax cuts. We've watched sort of the trickle down or the time it's taken for those tax cuts to really hit people's pocketbooks. We know people are spending more, there's more consumer spending. But we also know that the president's decision to impose tariffs on a number of our trading allies, Mexico, Canada, and China and the EU did make some businesses rush some purchasing decisions that they might have stretched out over a longer period of time. And we also know that farmers were quick to try to get their soybeans to China and that too might've been a factor.
0: It always comes back to the soybeans right now. Some people are calling these one time factors because there was such a rush, it padded the numbers early on. But even back to consumers, uh, you know, consumer spending is up, but they're also saving a lot of money, too. Uh, I think spending was uh, increased by a couple percentage points as well.
2: That's right. We see consumers with unemployment low and a little bit of wage growth, although not a whole lot, spending, saving and also, unfortunately, taking out more debt. All three of those factors seem to be pushing the economy from a consumer standpoint. uh, Some of it might be pent up purchases. People have waited a long time to feel more economically secure to do so. And some of it might just be signs that the job market is doing what it appears to be doing in the numbers and giving people a little bit more money in their pockets to spend.
0: So the president is obviously touting this growth. You know, it is very good news. He's putting a lot of it on the tax cuts and what he's doing on trade. And this is the playbook for the midterms and beyond, really, riding this wave of economic growth. This is what he's going to be selling to the American people as we keep going.
2: That's right. We saw economic growth throughout the Obama presidency, and the Republican criticism was that it just wasn't enough, and it just wasn't fast enough. Now they're going to say, it's enough. It's fast enough. It's growing at a rate that we find acceptable. And he's going to take that message to the voters, and he's going to be very clear that he is responsible for this economic growth, and that if he doesn't have a Republican-controlled Congress in the next session, that these gains will be undermined and that Democrats aren't with him on the
0: economy. And economists are always going to speculate on what's happening. I guess it's their job to be a little pessimistic on a lot of fronts. Some of them are saying that this is not going to be a sustained growth. I think overall for the year, they say that we'll probably dip back down to just 3% growth overall in GDP. Still, though, very good signs for the economy
2: are a lot of economists who are very worried that our economy could be on the brink of another recession. They tend to happen cyclically. We expect them to happen every so many years. And the fact that we haven't had one in over almost a decade makes economists concerned that there's one on the brink.
0: Every Sunday, we're treated to uh, usually treated to a slew of tweets by the president. This weekend was no different. We did get uh, an interesting set of tweets, though, related to immigration. And he said that he'd be willing to shut down the government if Democrats don't give him the votes for border security and uh, getting rid of the immigration lottery and catch and release. This spells trouble for a lot of Republicans. and They're not very happy if, to shut down the government right before the midterm elections.
2: The last thing that the Republican Congress wants to see is the government shut down days or weeks before voters head to the polls. It could be a recipe for disaster for them if voters feel like Congress is not accomplishing even its most basic job of keeping the government funding, and have no doubt, even if President Trump gets up every day and says he shut the government down to get what he wants because Democrats, he'll argue, aren't giving it to him, voters are going to have a hard time swallowing that, knowing that Republicans control both chambers of Congress. He's made this threat before and not followed through with it. And it's a little bit of what his message is, that he needs more Republicans, that there aren't enough of them, and that simply controlling both chambers isn't enough.
0: I mean, the difficulty is that a lot of these issues are time and time again have been shown that Congress just never comes to a consensus on. Obviously, Democrats and Republicans are opposed on a lot of stuff. But even within the Republican Party, it's hard to get anybody to come together, even on on narrow immigration issues
2: these are the kind of issues that it's very difficult to get consensus for in Congress. The type of issues that there is not unanimous consent among Republicans. There's a lot of division. And so when you have an issue like the border wall, like what he calls catch and release, but the policy of not detaining people who have only committed misdemeanors or maybe even possibly no crime at all, those policies are going to take either convincing a lot of people to change their mind or the president trying to force them in some way and the only way he might have to force them is to veto spending bills.
0: Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters, thank you very much for joining us.
2: Thanks for having me. We've been very fortunate through our whole life to be able to have all the water that we need, and we all should be able to work together to conserve as much as we can. I brush my teeth in the shower, so it's kind of easy, knocking two things out at once. I
0: constantly come across a bunch of headlines that catch your eye all the time. Two in particular, my producer Miranda sent to me, so I'm bringing her in for this conversation. Thanks for coming on, Miranda. Thanks, Oscar. The first one is, is sleeping with a fan on actually bad for your health? And why I took to this so much is because I do that. Every night I have an air conditioner in my room. It's a small window air conditioner. It doesn't work that well. So to supplement that, I also had the fan on and I have it facing right at me. It's a tiny fan, but I have it facing right at me. So I get that cool air all night. What is this all about? The concern is that it's going to dry people out, essentially.
3: They say that like, you know, when you sleep with the fan on, if your eyes are like mine and don't close all the way when you're sleeping, that air can get in and just suck the moisture out of your eyes. People sleep with their mouths open. It dries out your mouth. You wake up super thirsty. Same thing with the nasal passages. It can dry you out. Also, they're concerned about dust, other allergens, and also just the spacing, the fan right up next to you versus away from you. They say that an optimal temperature for a bedroom is 68-ish degrees. And that's the best way to sleep. But sometimes a fan on top of that can make you wake up really stiff or sore if you're cold and you cuddle up.
0: Right. That was one of the things that uh, I found pretty interesting is that a direct breeze on you or cold air directly on you will cramp up your muscles. So sometimes you might wake up with that stiff neck and that stuff is it's a bother. But they did speak to experts on a lot of this stuff. And the consensus is, is really it's not as bad as you think. I think the headline makes it. A little worse than it actually is. Clickbait. Uh, Yeah, right. They say don't have it directly on you. Maybe just circulating in the room to help cool the room down is probably a better idea. doesn't pose a significant health risk to have a fan directly on you. But I will attest to it that I do wake up with a dry mouth sometimes. I do wake up with a sore neck sometimes, and I didn't know... That maybe this. There you go. It's not the stress it. of the job. Right. Exactly. So um, blame the fan. Is a fan bad for you while you're sleeping? Not really.
3: It's a great, effective white noise machine for people like me who cannot sleep in silence. Right. And also, it won't make you any worse if you sleep with it on while you're sick. So if you like that moving air, you're not sitting in stale air when you're sick. A fan's a good way to move that.
0: Yeah. If you're concerned about the dust and the pollen and all that stuff, they say just have an air filter, like another machine, air filter machine in the room. How
3: many machines? I know,
0: right. <laughs> <Do we need? laughs> The other one that caught my eye, that was pretty funny. Brushing teeth in the shower just fine or totally gross? I, again, am guilty of this. I brush my teeth in the shower. Totally gross. You don't brush your teeth no, in the shower? No, I'm a sink
3: brusher, Oh my! God. as you should be, as everyone should be. <laughs> when your mom was teaching Why? you to brush your teeth as a toddler, did she take you in the shower to do no, it? No, actually okay? not. Why do you think it's totally gross? I think that you go in the shower to get clean, and you go in there kind of dirty depending on how often you shower with all the soap and the shampoo and the razors flying around in there. I just don't think it's a very conducive to hygiene.
0: There was a survey done in 2014 by Delta dental plans association. They said that 4% of Americans or about 13 million people say they brush most frequently in the shower. People between 18 and 44 were twice as likely to brush in the shower as older Americans.
3: That's a tiny amount of the population. You're in such a
0: minority. (laughs) I know, but I just uh, we found this on Wall Street Journal and it has a lot of anecdotal stories about saving time. I think even Olympic swimmer Michael Phelps says it How? saves time and it saves water. How? right They say unless you're shampooing your head and brushing your teeth at the same time, most people can't pet their <laughs> head actually, and rub their stomach at, the at same this time, time
3: pantomiming, brushing <laughs> our teeth and washing our hair yeah just so unless to give you're you doing that,
0: you're not necessarily saving time. Water, I mean your shower head puts out more water than your faucet.
3: The shower head puts out two and a half to three and a half gallons of water per minute versus one to three gallons for sinks.
0: Okay, the people we're supposed to be paying attention to, what did the dentist say?
3: The dentist say, do not brush in the shower, Oscar. Dr. Benjamin Johnson, he's a founder of Agarwood Dental in Waco, Texas, and he advises his patients with poor dental hygiene to brush at the sink because if you don't watch yourself using a mirror, you can do the angles wrong and the shower can make your brushing so relaxed that you miss spots and you are
0: less careful while brushing. But he doesn't say it's grosser.
3: He does because he says that you're more likely to drop your toothbrush in the shower and gross.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, I guess the jury's still out. I'm going to continue brushing. The my jury teeth is in the not shower. out. Don't do it. <laughs> Thanks, Miranda. Thank you, Oscar. All right, that's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. We love the feedback, so don't forget to leave us a comment and give us a rating. Follow The Daily Dive on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Daily Dive is produced by Miranda Moreno and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this was your Daily Dive.